Hello, dear listeners, and welcome back to Flight Through Entirety, the only Doctor Who podcast whose hosts are a result of the Hilbracken cloning technique. I'm Brendan. I'm Nathan. I'm a lovely prawn bisque for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> And, it's food with you, isn't it? <laughs> and we're headed deep into the asteroid belt, breaking out like a plague of locusts for the invisible enemy. Richard, you've been saddled with this prawn. Mmm, yum yum. Mm. So where do we start off with this one? Oh, I'm very excited. The fish people are back. We've got the underwater menace. <laughs> We've refound the episode. They're wearing exactly the same makeup. <laughs> Contact has been made. I, I left my dictionary at home, so I won't be able to spell check myself for this episode. But it turns out neither could any of the design people. Have you seen how they spell the signage on this story? Isolation. It's worth watching. <laughs> and yet, and I'm yet, like exit with egg, G's. Egg, yes, with yeah. eggs in it. Yes, yeah. yes. It's... It, it feels a bit red and stimpy, doesn't it? There's a lot of Freudian jokes underneath all of this. So, is it a Shavian thing where we've um, where we've uh, uh, adopted phonetic spelling and uh, uh, finally... we're so far in the future that we can just direct and light and film and script anything any way we want to? The reason this story, I feel, maybe not the most successful of all Doctor Who stories of all really? time. Yeah, possibly. Um, we're assuming that you know the listeners or has is watched it, and if you haven't, oh, you don't need to. You can just listen to us. Um, is <laughs> we'll be that, quicker. Yeah, it's, and it, we've got a higher budget actually. <laughs> you know when I say that Doctor Who really works when it's trying to do other things. Well, this is where I'm proven disastrously wrong. Doctor Who works, I feel, when it does other literary or filmic. Tropes? Was that the word? I think that might be a word. Chin chin. But it doesn't work where it rips off other looks or other styles or tries to be another someone else's success. Now, Brendan, you were talking about the S word, I believe. This one and that would be Spawn. George Lucas. Oh, okay. <laughs> Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars came. But this story is filmed in April '77, so all the spaceship shots and the inclusion of a new companion, if you want to call him that, which we'll get to, um, you would feel is aping the success. It's not. It's actually nodding to Kubrick and to, of course, Jerry Anderson, Just well, Sylvia yeah, Anderson so with Space 1979. Star Wars um, was in production, so. Uh, people were seeing pictures and whatnot. So okay. certainly there may have been some influence there. But yes, it didn't come out for several it wasn't months after this, not until December. To, it wasn't predicted to be the success that no. it was going to be, unless you were a t complete fanboy and picking up copies of Starlog, which was the magazine to go to in the 70s. That it, it wasn't in the popular imagination. So, And yet this thing has the biggest model effect shooting time of the whole history of Doctor Who. It's, it's spent more Can money it on it since this. Apparently since the... The, um, the Space Pirates will actually get an even bigger one with a story called Underworld later on in the season, which is yeah. just terrific for lots and lots of good reasons. I know you're looking forward to that one. <laughs> the model work is spectacular. Is it, though? I think it's no, completely No, it's terrible. Bad. It's so really? bad. I love model work, and as you can see around our lovely withdrawing room, there are quite a few models here, but no. Look, I think... It's, 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 no, it really doesn't work, and it really should. And don't let Matt Irvin ever design anything, because his spaceships look like toilet rolls with, <laughs> with washing up bottles glued to the front of them. Ugh. So the Titan base is just about acceptable, I think. The, oh, the, the, the model the is all the... right. 
the the spaceships really look cheap and terrible. There's and one they're scene. Not. They're expensive models, and that the movement. Oh no. There's one scene in episode one where the spaceship lands and it goes down this sort of cardboard corridor, which just looks like Zen and base, you know, yeah. with uh, sort of very low property values. <laughs> and and then we get the we get the Bial Foundation, which is like a papier mache rock, and it comes with a landing pad. Does it, it comes really pre-crashed into. It comes pre-crashed into. <laughs> yeah, um, because the, the first picture. shot. Yeah, that's right. It's really terrible, and the space ship hitting the bio foundation thing in episode two is awful i think the models are just universally terrible and i have very few good things to say about underworld later in the in the season but the models for underworld are better than they are here this is true i really like the titan shuttle because hmm. in my mind anyway it's aping the look of the space shuttle which was a very, very new idea in 1977. I think it was uh, That's true, still it is. Well, oh, there was the was... dinosaur, which had been actually, actually around since the very early 70s. And you, there's, mm. a, there's a test vehicle of that in the opening credits of the $6 million man. So. Oh, right. It looks like a fat space shuttle, mm. the, ti the Titan ship, which when you think about the way design goes forward, first you come up with your basic technological vehicle design, then it actually gets bigger, but then it becomes more streamlined. So I, I certainly see what they were going for there. Yeah, I agree some of the model work isn't so good, especially the crash into the thing where they've obviously just put it on a piece of string and spun it on the string <laughs> and <laughs> thrown it towards the camera. Yeah, pretty much. But at the same time, it's very quick and you get that wonderful nose cone view where they put the camera on the front of the ship and you see the asteroid spinning as the ship rushes towards it. I think that's very effective. It's Dude. very Blake 7, isn't it? Yes, but, well, and Blake 7 was in its was in its early stages Yeah, that's why point. Chris, Chris yeah. Boucher's last script is about to appear because he's going to go off and yeah. rewrite um, Terry Nation's mm. notes on the backs of envelopes. And, uh, <laughs> and, and why we have no more David Maloney. Yeah. Have you ever heard of an artist called Roger Dean? I'm just passing an image to the fellow podcasters. Oh, yes. Dear listener, which I have Brendan... Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. And that's, and um, that's, that's, that's something called Lighthouse, but he, he did a lot of... Mouse House from Hitchhikers. It is the Mouse House from Hitchhikers, but those little square windows... It does look a lot like the Bayal Foundation. Yeah, so we'll stick that up there. Um, you know, this was borrowing a lot from prog rock, and there were some really interesting SF ideas around in the 70s. Uh, the 70s were a good time to be reading SF, so this always felt kind of the 2D poor man's version of what was actually happening outside, and Doctor Who shouldn't do that. It should reference, but it shouldn't ape. So, so that's kind of my feeling of why it's not working. But the ideas behind this are really interesting. We haven't got to the prawn yet. But the notion of a bio foundation, Jared O'Neill was um, someone that was kind of contracted to NASA. Um, the notions of asteroids as colossal ecologies. You were aware of that word, ecology? Yeah, it's um, like an enclosed community. Exactly. Yeah. There's giant things. If you've ever watched Thunderbirds 2086, Brendan, you'll recall that um, was actually Techno Voyager, the Japanese 80s show that ITC rebranded and broadcast as um, an animated Thunderbirds in the 80s. Anyway, that their, their big island base was called the Arcology. It's, um, it was a big octahedron, the kind of thing that Todd floats around in when he calls questions out. Um, yeah, um, Paolo Soleri was the Italian architect who um, came up with the notion of that. And uh, the idea was that it was uh, cities, cities that could be self-fulfilling and self-powered and um, have a whole hermetic community either on Earth or in space. And, they, you know, this, this was something that we were talking about and the concept for the next stage of mankind. We, we forget how venturesome 
our thinking was in this time. There was a lot of optimism around, as, as well as also a lot of fear being preempted by Robert Ehrlich's book. Of course, we've talked about the population bomb and the mm. films like Soylent Green that uh, were a few years before that talked about overpopulation, strangling mankind. We needed to move out. Yeah. The asteroid belt was seen as a logical place because there'd be a lot of opportunities for mining there, and there even people believed that frozen um, the ice in 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 moons contained oxygen. All these ideas were, were going around anyway. So there's lots of really nice concepts behind this, but my goodness, you've got to trudge to find them, haven't you? <laughs> well, in fact, I think that there's I think there's a problem. This is Bob Baker and Dave Martin, and as usual, chin, chin, have another it, drink, listener. Yeah. It's just full of ideas that they dredge up, yeah. play with for ten minutes, yeah. and then throw away. Do you know what I mean? And so the cloning is, you know, just a, a perfect oh, example I'm going to finish up with the cloning because the cloning is the massive thing for me on this story and why it works and maybe why it really colossally fails. But it's right, <laughs> it's like you say, I don't think... I think the reason Bob Baker and Dave Martin stories work when they work is that they have a brilliant designer behind them to coalesce it all and make you feel as if you're actually in a prog rock album from the 70s. Look at Claws of Axos. It was beautiful at the time, and I think it's still stunning to look at now. Yeah. And distracts you. You just get overwhelmed by the sensorialness of everything. But this one, maybe design isn't really up there on this story. So this is Barry Newbury as the designer, and oh. he's actually been really good. I think he's great. You, you yeah. really like it? I know budget Mask of Mandragora, you know, is terrific, but he can't overcome the budget restrictions yeah. for this one. And so the sets is that why, are terrible. Yeah, well, is that why he's moved the TARDIS console room into the back of a butcher's it's van? It's so <laughs> tiny, isn't it? The it's a butcher's van. It's white, it's cold, it's cramped, and there's a big old loin of pork hanging up there. I'm sorry, Tom. But <laughs> and, yeah, <laughs> of course, yeah, we no longer have the, the wooden console room because apparently it was warped in storage, but also visually the console wasn't interesting to look at. So the old console's been refurbished. I reckon it there's was... It was actually, I mean, we've heard those stories and it's possibly true, but they could have just rebuilt a couple of flats. It was really that Graham Williams wanted to return to the gleaming white sensation of spaciness. He yeah. wanted to go into space and he didn't want, and he didn't want to be identified with Hinchcliffe in any way. Which so. is understandable. You know, you, you're I'm, a new miss producer. It I'm, I miss it in a way, but I, qu I quite like this console room as well. I prefer it when it's refined in the 80s and we get a bit more adornment on the walls. But I, I especially like Leela's reaction to it. Oh, God, I can't swing a miniskirt in here. <laughs> <laughs> a leather strap. We've <laughs> never been in here before. <laughs> You've yeah. never been in here before. So it is, it is the console room that we're stuck with for the rest of the run of the original series, Pretty essentially. Much, yeah. Yeah, they, replace yeah. the, they replace the console itself. But well, I think when they re eventually replace the console, the walls are also new. I think the scanner piece stays, so yeah. that scanner piece conceptually, it's, 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 yeah, it's yeah, the, yeah. the rounders yeah. look the way they do for the yeah. rest of the run yeah. of the show yeah. and so on. I think Titan Base. There's an attempt to make it sort of Ken Adamish by having some exposed rock and and ceilings and stuff, but it it's not very good. And 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 the Bial Foundation like a lot of plain white walls, which are less boring than I remember because there's, an, you know, again, an attempt to put columns and things in there. But he's just got no money and he can't hide that. And so the design looks terrible. Yeah, I think the the Bial Foundation, it's too neat and it's too pristine. It's just, yeah, just... It's, it's just boring. Yeah, it's exactly. really boring. Exactly. And, and that's why Doctor Who always relies on the 
magnetic quality of its supporting cast to draw those disparate elements together and make a cohesive whole. And then we end up with this story. Now, yeah. are, there any, are there any actors in this at all that really shine for you? Well, no, none of them. And <laughs> you've got Michael Sheer, do you know? The wonderful who, Michael Sheer. Who is terrible, although he is, <laughs> he's really enjoying himself as a villain in episode three. Yes. He lifts it a little bit. You've got Frederick Yeager, who was Jano in The Savages, and who was mm. Sorensen, who's really good, who's mm. a proper actor. And here he just puts on a stupid accent and, and larks about. He's terrible. This is a theme yeah, of the Yeager Williams. Awful in this yeah, movie. yeah, it's a theme of the Williams era where people think it's supposed to be funny or for children or whatever and they do silly voices and they ruin it. Uh, spoiler alert, we'll get more of that in Nightmare of Eden. So he's terrible. Uh, you know, there's really <laughs> no one else. There's those terrible people on Titan Base who are being relieved, who are kind of swiftly massacred. <laughs> so to speak. And remember welcome they're having to Titan. <laughs> You're welcome to it. <laughs> but he, that they, they're having the world's most listless and desultory party, you know, in the history uh, of the solar system. Uh, but they say, come in, get your gear off. Do you remember? It's like... There's, a, there's well, you know what? It's the 51st century, and they're 51st century guys. Uh, Thank you. You're talking about Jack. Jack. I actually they've think they've got bored with each other. You see? Do you really reckon? I think they've actually all had horrible exposure to Zygma radiation, <laughs> and they've all they've all gone horribly wrong. What did the doctor say about it? It's, um, it's humanity. a blind alley. Yeah, humanity ends up its own scientific fundament in the 51st century, and this story proves it. Yeah, so the guest cast are terrible. It's directed. <laughs> it's directed it, by. It's very rushed directing, it feels it's Derek to me. Flat. Yes. Derek Goodwin, who never worked before or again on the program. Derek Goodwin, but did actually do. a behind the scenes guy, and then he moved into this one. Was he, he points his wife as the receptionist nurse. Yeah, yeah, no, but her, yeah, no. he's most famous for directing a bunch of episodes of On the Buses. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's. <laughs> Not. Wouldn't Blakey have been great <laughs> as, as the Michael Sheard character? Yeah, so yes, he's please. terrible. Everything's directed really flatly and uninterestingly. You want to hear something interesting about Derek Goodwin? He had a third nipple. I'm sorry, I've clicked on the wrong name. I was going to say, every story he's worked on was by Bob Baker and Dave Martin, and then I realised I was looking at the Wikipedia entry for Dave Martin. Anyway, I have a lot to say about the actual underlying point of this story. Should we get to K9? Yes. Or are we or are we definitely. still on or are we still on poor Leela who's commented on as being a bit of a mongrel in this? Well she's she's terrible and again Is she? she yeah, yeah. So <laughs> Leela varies. Like I'm not saying the acting is terrible, but both yeah. her and Tom seem to be phoning it in a bit this week. She's suffering a bit of the granddaughter complex in this one. Have you yeah. noticed she's displaying Susan-like powers? She's able to sense the virus, even from within the TARDIS, and she seems to be time-sensitive too, about the, about precognition. Of, she can of pilot that? the TARDIS. Oh, yeah, she can turn what's the knob. that? Why is she well, turning she, I the think, knobs? I think they, they've thought they're writing for, for Carol Ann Ford, which is probably why <laughs> you're saying the character goes nowhere and she's ill-served throughout the story. <laughs> she, she gets very little to do. There and she's stupid. And in fact, the doctor... Yeah, and this is what I don't like about how... Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. This is what I don't like how um, Williams has taken. He seems to be kind of... In a, not so much as Tom, but there's a similar resentfulness to both of them. As You don't agree? As, no, as, I don't think it's I don't Williams. Think he, I don't think he likes having 
other people's characters in his show. No, later on in the season, she's really good, and it mm-hmm. really depends mm-hmm. on who the writer on is. Who the writer yeah. is. So okay. if it's Holmes or Boucher, she's, mm. she's great. Uh, in this, she's an idiot. And in yeah. fact, Tom... I think she's an idiot too often this season, though, compared to how she how she was served. I mean, Tom theorises that the reason that she's immune to the virus is that she's not very bright, essentially. the thing is, the line the Doctor is given is that Leela is all intuition. He mm. doesn't he doesn't speculate as to her intelligence. Mm. He he just kind of says, you know, whereas you or I would sit down and try and figure out the scientific formula, Leela functions on whether she likes it or not. Mm. Her feet her feeling. And the doctor's interpretation of that seems very respectful of the fact that Leela is very different to him. It's Marius and then everyone else afterwards who says, "Oh, perhaps it's a matter of intelligence." Yeah, yeah. And I think that was meant to be a very clever gag, but no one's told Tom that it's meant to be a gag. So he just plays the line as normal, and it adds Bob Baker and Dave Martin again not picking up on something later on. Well, in fact, that's not the reason, is it? It's uh, her antibodies come from her, her ancestors. Her, come from her ancestors, but, but she then she gives re- them to her ancestors. <laughs> and again, and it's a really interesting time paradox concept it that is. isn't really commented on. No. So much <laughs> isn't commented on, though, in this one. So much, mm. much of it should be wonderful. It just really needs a bit of Bob hurrying into it. Don't and he was it? still working on it. You, well, but don't do you, you feel think it? he looks I, tired? Yes, yeah. I, I, I can't really tell him here at all. Should we get to the cloning? Or are we still yeah, going to no, talk, talk about, about the cloning. lovely you, canine? Uh, yeah, let's, let's go on canine first. Okay. Okay, so April 77 it was being filmed. Yeah, uh, I know we've all said it a hundred times before, but you know, Star Wars wasn't out. This, this, he wasn't based on... Um, R2-D2. No. But, but there were Was he based of... on Muffet from Battlestar yes, Galactica? Absolutely. No, that's two years later. <laughs> oh, no, okay. it was one year later. No, it's, it, there were the sci-fi robots in, um, in Silent Running with Bruce Dern. There have been cutesy yes. Q robots in, in SF. I, look, I, I like the idea that he was only going to be in it for one episode, for one story. And I really like the idea of the Doberman Pinscher um, Wizard of Oz outfit. That they were, <laughs> they'd actually originally designed. I'd love to see a picture of that. What they were going to dress a dog up as a robot. John Leeson was going to actually be in the costume, and you know he was doing the rehearsal on set and doing the Times Crosser with Tom. I yeah. think we've talked before about how Muffet from Battlestar Galactica was a chimp in a dog costume. It was. A re- it was sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it was sometimes yeah. it was but also that's an a actor. very unkind thing to say about John Leeson. <laughs> <laughs> and again, that that comes seventy eight, seventy nine. So. Yeah, it's. I don't know what to say about Kane. I actually loved him as a boy. I think he, he does too much mm. and rescues the character. But I like that he's um, Aurac light. I like that he's irascible and cranky. And, he becomes yeah. much more like that next uh, <laughs> in two years' time, doesn't yes, he? When they yes. can't get John Leeson back, but his motor is really distractingly really loud. loud. Really loud. Really it's really not a great prop, is it? In retrospect, no. Well, well you know that his idea was to not have the bloke in it. It was John Nathan Turner. Oh right. And he came to regret it later. He said, "No, no, we can spend more money on this and keep it as an ongoing thing." And then, of course, he had no money for stories later on. Yeah. Matt Irvine says that part of the problem was when uh, he and I think it was Ian Schoons were given the design brief. It's like, look, we only need this to work for four weeks. It can fall apart after that. And he has said since several times, if we had have known then that they were considering keeping it on, Mm. we would have constructed it very differently. We would have spent more money because we could argue that a bit would come out of the budget for this story and the next and the next and the next. Because, of course, K-9 was very expensive to produce and it all came out of the Invisible Enemy budget. But... 
the budget runs out partly for that. I mean, yes, don't exactly. they keep it to amortise the cost over the remaining stories yeah, of the yeah. season and then they have to rebuild the prop again anyway for yeah. the following year? Well, they had to rebuild it slightly for the sun makers. Right, yeah. Because yeah. he started as normal dogs with lampposts, canine with cameras. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he used to run into the cameras, <laughs> yes. didn't he? And there is footage of that on the DVD. Yes. Of, of canine, canine going haywire, running off screen and you just see the sort of back end of him and he runs into something and you hear a cameraman go, ah! <laughs> <laughs> I, look, I think John Leeson is terrific and I think yes. K-9 is great and, you know, it just makes me happy now we're in the K-9 <laughs> thing. I've watched all the way through season 15 now, of course, and I love him in it and I love Leela with him. They have an immediate rapport, don't they? Yeah, they really yeah. do. Yeah. And, and you'll notice that K-9 goes into the TARDIS with Leela and in Invasion of Time coming up, not to spoil it, but he, he seems to still be Leela's dog, not yeah, the Doctor's. Yeah, he's not the Doctor's dog, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. K-9 Mark One is not the Doctor's dog, and that's why he... Spoiler alert, builds another one. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he doesn't really seem to like the Doctor any more than the last one. No. <laughs> that's not a bad thing. I think that's why K-9 really works for me. You need a foil to, to, uh, to the Doctor's, I'm going to say to Tom's arrogance, to the Doctor's arrogance. Well, Leela, both. Yeah, yeah Leela can oppose him in the, you know, in the, for humanity and for morality, but you need someone to approach him on intellect. And I think that's where my Doctor, and Tom was my Doctor, falls down in this season that his irascibility is overweening. It actually goes further than it needs to and kind of there's, you know, there's contradiction with the, with the intention of the part. And I don't know that we actually end up disliking the Doctor. I, I, I don't think I've ever gone that far. But, um, and you know, you might argue that that irascibility is exactly what propelled the writing of the sixth Doctor. People thought that that would be refreshing. But... I don't know. How do you feel about it? Like, we talked last week about how Tom being annoyed actually helped the performance in mm. Horror of Fang Rock. Here, I think he's just phoning it in. I just don't think he's bothering. And I think both him and Louise are not doing their best work. Tom also gets to spend a lot of time unconscious as well. Do you know what I mean? Worrying about his own head. <laughs> yeah. 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 Should we talk about the cloning? Science. I'd love to talk about the cloning because this for me is why it didn't work. And even as a boy, I thought, hang on, they're saying 39.22? Was it the Kilbracken technique mm. that we've developed mm. cloning? Oh, they only last 10 minutes. How You could spawn a whole battle army in 10 minutes. You, he says, oh, you know, it, it's a science show. There's no use for medical, you know, we don't use it in, medicine, med, in medical treatments. Yet you've got an enormous phone box there, which seems to the only reason is that you can <laughs> reduce people down Put them into a Oh, no, body. the reducing people down is because the doctor fishes has a thing right. out of the TARDIS. The TARDIS, you think, okay, so the cloning but, couldn't have been used for that. But there must have been... So, come on, it's ridiculous to say. This is, this is, I definitely think it's Zygma energy. They've all been... They've all they've gone all crazy. They've all been sucking on the sticks of Zygma energy, yeah. So yeah. we're doing Fantastic Voyage, aren't we, essentially? And we're yeah. doing it... A hundred years before the broadcast mm. of Into the Dalek from season eight, yes. which did it very, very well, it did, I actually. think. But this is not very good. And so it is one of those things where we're just throwing up yet another idea and abandoning it. It's mostly confined to episode three. And they only last 10 minutes, but they do seem to last the entirety of episode three. You know what? The last time I watched it... 
I timed. Did you time it? I timed how long the clones were on screen. Wow, well, you don't get out very much. I don't. <laughs> I don't. Uh, but I timed how long they were on screen, and it does tally. So really? If we take it that the clone scenes are happening at the same time oh, as okay. the real world scenes either side of them, yes. the timeline actually tallies. Timelines are my thing, as we know. Yes. Well, I just thought it was it was an attempt. You know, it's what Chris Chibnall does in Hungry Earth, where he just adds a bunch of countdowns in order to ramp up the ten <laughs> tension. Was that after he sang the theme to Casino Royale? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was great in that too. <laughs> just terrific. There are some magical moments in the cloned sequences. The Doctor and Leela yomping around the Doctor's brain, as silly as it is, Tom and Louise are obviously having a lot of fun, and their humour and interplay yeah. with that is great. And, and we when get you're that, 10, it's terrific fun, yeah. And we get that beautiful moment where, which is why I think at this point they had definitely settled their differences, when they cross the mind-brain interface and stare off into the void and they get the wind machine and Leela says, where are we going, Doctor? Into the land of dreams and fantasies, Leela. And for me, that's the byline of the whole season. It would have been so great to take that somewhere as well. You know, like, the going about the brain isn't naturalistic at all. Do you know what I mean? Like, they're not, not crawling through arteries yeah, or anything no, like that. Lewis Carroll. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And it's the, the they can even breathe. I mean, maybe clones don't need to breathe, but, mm. you know, there's no way they could at that scale. Yeah, yeah. There's all these other things that just make no sense. No, so but the it's only Doctor way you, Who, we don't exactly. care. Well, the only way you can is that it's an alternate reality in some way, or that mm. is more of the Lewis Carroll through the rabbit hole. Well, it's the, the mind-brain interface, I think, is the telling thing. And they stare off into that void and there's all those columns and stuff. And so yeah. there's a kind of dualistic conception mm. of it. The mind, the brain isn't purely organic. The mind isn't something the brain does. You know, they're separate entities that are kind of joined together and you could actually yes. travel from one to the other. Yes. And I think all of that stuff is lovely and it gets like a scene, you know, yeah. and it's yeah. never developed. And that's what Baker and Martin do. They don't... Last year, we complained about Hand of Fear where they had no ideas at all. <laughs> Here, they have a whole bunch of ideas that they just dredge up, fling at the screen for five minutes and then abandon, you know. And so nothing gets developed. There's nothing satisfying. The Invisible Enemy doesn't seem to be about anything. Richard, do you think the story might have been better if the whole thing had been the Fantastic Voyage? Oh, because the case with so many Bob Baker and Dave Martin stories, would it have been better if it had just been one of the four or five stories they're throwing up on screen, as Nathan's mm. saying? I think it would have been a lot better with different writers involved. That's different directors, maybe a different set designer. It's such an interesting question. It's like, what comes first? What actually makes the story work? Is it the direction? Is it the cast? Is it the design? It kind of, it's kind of counterintuitive for me, but it seems to be that they work when everyone is working together. Yeah. But then I haven't seen a story I haven't liked that Paddy Russell has done, and I haven't seen a story that I thought was unsuccessful that Dougie Canfield did. Yeah. So maybe it does come down to direction in the end. As I say, you can none of these people, and this is the difference of 70s actors, they'd all been doing rep for at least a year, 18 months, before they got onto a show like this, which means they've played every single part of every touring play that was around that, at that time. So they do have the range if they need to. Um, they're just not given a chance to shine. And we've certainly seen these actors like Michael Shedd be, and be and really Frederick good. Yeager, yeah. And Freddie Yeager, who can be terrific and nuanced. And oh my goodness, I think the fact that he's wearing a school protractor on his face. Probably, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it, I think it's a giant intersection of everyone having their worst possible day combined with. <laughs> 
you know, some crummy old Zed Cars director who will never work on the show again. Yeah. Uh, like, I just think it's a, a huge, it's a huge mess. And then there's the prawn off. Well, so this is a particularly horny prawn, isn't it? Because <laughs> all it can talk about is the need to spawn. And this is a theme that, that comes in episode one, where all of these men, uh, they're, they're very keen to breed. They're constantly yes. talking about how they want to breed. And then well, the prawn, he, he's gagging for it. I mean, you know, like, it's twitching in anxiety about the need to get I off the entire time. I kind of wish that Harry time. Sullivan was still in these stories because, you know, he'd be qualified to work on space sailors. <laughs> that would be, be very much... What I do like about this story, and I didn't notice it as a, as a child, of course, is that the basic premise seems to be a moral balance between humanity and every other form of life, that humanity's burgeoning growth and diaspora is no different from the replication of a virus. And again, I'm back to Robert Ehrlich's population bomb theories. The virus is as much right to swarm and multiply as, as the human species. And, and, and Tom, actually, there's an argument that they have um, between the two of them, the doctor and, and, and the, I think it's when it's a melanoma, isn't it? And that, that stupid wart thing. Yeah, yeah. The effect that it does. Um, so, but therefore the doctor has, a, has the right to dispose of the virus equally. You see where that moral argument goes? It's, you, it's, that's almost something thematic, isn't it? Mm. Like it's the time of humanity's great breakout mm. and it's nearly the time of the prawn's great breakout. But it's not a very interesting moral, do you know what I mean? <laughs> but it is something. Someone's paying attention well, it's, it's, fitfully to the script. You would think so. <laughs> but then later um, the doctor states that the virus has to be stopped because... It threatens the macro world of the humans as much as the micro world of other viruses. So therefore, ethics has scale. And I just don't see how that can be applied. Yeah, or it breaks out of its sort of natural place. Which is the most stupid mm. thing to do because it's now really easily bumped off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Why did it do that? Because it's got hubris, I guess. It wants to be... It wants I wish to be it, big. I should have had it been its own star. I just love that it's um, wheeling around on a, yeah. <laughs> the Raw Prawn. It gets the Raw Prawn Award for, <laughs> for my season, C complete with its own mounting base and casters. <laughs> it have casters. It has yeah. casters. Oh, Yartek, my love, where mm. are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, it's John Scott Martin inside it. <laughs> it is. I was hoping it was Stuart Fell or indeed Tony Starr. That would have made a very different... <laughs> it has those Alpha Centauri arms too, where it has three arms on each side, all linked together by string so the actor who only has two arms yeah. or one arm on each side can operate them all do you know that, what I mean that's right because the Alpha Centauri character was so successful that yeah. they brought it back again yeah. they, they reincarnated it as this one yeah I mean really? it, it, is it so good it's hilarious and funny and no, does that because it's not fun thing it's not fun to watch I as mean, a boy okay because we were lucky we were there first time round what did we think of it then no, I can't remember having a strong you see, opinion about I don't it. The only thing I remember of this story is K-9 and that I had to hurriedly go and build yet another TARDIS set because <laughs> they've, reached, they've changed the, the console room. That's it. I didn't actually own this story as a child. I didn't see it until my teenage years, oh, so I don't have childhood nostalgia for it, which you may notice usually I'm the first with a crap story to go, oh, isn't it wonderful and isn't it lovely? No, I'm very much aware of the limitations of this one. How did Absolutely. you feel when you first saw it? Then? Uh, you know, I still enjoyed it, but yeah. I saw a lot, a lot of problems. And actually, uh, Todd's taking this as his cue to fly in for a moment and uh, restate something he said last season. Well, guys, I stand by my statement that Bob Baker and Dave Martin write two pretty good episodes of Doctor Who a year. After that, well, it's anybody's business. 
And I must say this, I actually quite enjoy the first couple of episodes of this story. But in episode three, things just start to go horribly wrong. I actually don't have a problem with the prawn prop, which I think is really well realised. It's that stupid black clothed one clawed thing at the end of episode three, which I just think is absolutely diabolical. And how much noise does K9 make? Oh look, that's all the time I've got time for. I've got to go outside and exercise Leaky. So guys- I think Todd's very generous giving them two. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we have the first four episodes of eight that Bob Baker and Dave Martin write this year. And it occurs to me this story, it's a four part story, but really it's four one parts. You know, you've got um, the mystery of Titan base and the doctor being taken over. That's one story and that's kind of dealt with. And then you've got the doctor being treated in hospital while the virus spreads and that's the second story. Yeah. Then you've got Fantastic Voyage. Then you've got the more typical Doctor Who monster thing where it's the doctor versus the monster who wants to take over humanity. I mean, that is a problem with the story, isn't it? But yeah. it, does, it can't settle on what it's about. Mm, mm. Is this the last year that they work on the program? No, they're back for the key to time. What one do they do in that? Armageddon Factor. Oh, they do God, too. they're so terrible. <laughs> they're terrible. Who's hiring them? <laughs> Williams. Williams trusted them with that one because, um, he, they, you know, they've got such great tenure in the show. They're but, I mean, quick and cheap. They're, they're, quick they're and really cheap, bad and they oh, used to be like good. Like a Midlands yeah. whore, quick but, and cheap. <laughs> <laughs> but they've done Hand of Fear and Invisible Enemy and Underworld and the Armageddon Factor and they've got to be contestants for the worst stories of the <laughs> Oh, you heard it here first. Listen. You know, they are bad. Like, I, I, you know, like I bitched about them before this. I just don't think I'd realise the full scale of their incompetence and utter, utter evil. <laughs> Is this the first time Nathan and I have actually sat on the same side of the table on this? As a boy, I... Kind of, I did enjoy these because this is how I was writing my fanfic. However... When you were 10. I was 10. <laughs> and that's really all I can say in its defence. So, yeah, I think Nathan and I are sitting on the same sofa of reasonable comfort for this one. How about you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, yeah, guys, for once we found a story that we all agree is bad. Because quite often we, we will all agree that a story is good, especially if it had Barbara in it. Oh. But, um, yeah, this is one that... As, as much as I love the Williams era, and I do adore the Williams so era, I, I think, this, so is, there you go. So I think I. this is the biggest yeah. misfire of the 70s so far. Really? Yeah. Well, so far. Yeah. There's still Underworld I, in yeah. years. And you know how much I didn't like the Mutants like Bob ba by Bob Baker and Dave Martin? Which, see, I did like that. Yeah, I liked it too, I that, think. And I like Axos. Yeah. It's love, terrible in many ways. Oh, but Axos is just a disco I want to hang yeah, around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Plus, both of those have really quite relevant and well-stated social commentary. Yeah, yeah they do. Yeah. Especially um, Mutants. I think that was really fresh. It still is, yeah. This has a giant prawn on a skateboard. Which should be f everything you've ever wanted. <laughs> Sounds delicious. <laughs> Unfortunately, or perhaps thankfully, that's all the time we have to spend at the Bial Foundation. I have so much more to say about <laughs> how much I hate this story. <laughs> Please switch over to ABC2 for Nathan's extended analysis. 
Uh, don't forget, you can find us online at flightthroughentirety.com, Flight Through Entirety on Facebook and iTunes, and at FTE Podcast on Twitter. Next Saturday, we release our commentary on Bondfinger for Thunderball, which is possibly the invisible enemy of James Bond films. Uh, so you can check that out on bondfinger.com, Bondfinger on Facebook and iTunes, and Bondfinger Cast on Twitter. So until we see you for Bondfinger or for Doctor Who, may all your prawns not try to take you over with a deadly virus. Thank you very much and good night. Good night. I'll just chuck a virus on the Barbie. See you soon. <laughs> that was Flight to Entirety with Nathan Bottomley, Brendan Jones and Richard Stone. This episode, Ren and Stimpy, was recorded on the 27th of September 2015. The next episode will be released on November the 8th. The scales may have fallen from our eyes on this one, if they were ever on there to begin with. Fish people! Did we mention it's got fish people? <laughs> <laughs> okay.